Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction. We were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. A program that's been running since 1984 in Boston is coming to Cleveland. It's called Improbable Players, and it's a theater company made up of recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. Their 45-minute performances are impactful and have provided evidence-based prevention education in the Northeast for many years. Today, we're joined by Karen Snyder, their regional director in Cleveland, and Andy Short, as well as Chris Everett Hussey, the co-directors in Boston. Before we begin our conversation with Chris and Andy via cell phone, I wanted to play an Improbable Players interview that was done by Deborah Becker, a reporter at WBUR in Boston, the local NPR affiliate. The painful stories of people in recovery from drug and alcohol use may not sound like it makes for riveting theater, but in fact, it actually seems to resonate with many Massachusetts students. This school year alone, thousands of students have seen performances by the theater group named The Improbable Players. Their performances are theatrical adaptations of the personal stories of addiction. All the actors are in recovery. WBUR's Deborah Becker attended a recent performance focusing on opioid use and has this story. You know, I hate you. I really, really hate you. This soliloquy from the stage of the auditorium at Triton Regional High School in Byfield has more than 500 teenagers riveted. The actor is describing powerful feelings about being a drug user. Three other actors are whispering back, reinforcing his negative emotions. Every time, every time, your mom asks, how you doing? I'm doing fine, mom. You lie. This play, titled End of the Line, is based on stories from people in recovery from substance use disorders. The world would be better off without you. And maybe you'd be better off dead. The Improbable Players performed before 5,000 students in New England this school year alone. They say they want students to know what the players learned the hard way, that it's easy to fall into addiction and it's hard to claw out of it. After the one-hour performance, the players tell their personal stories and then invite the students to ask questions. We would be happy to answer uh, any of your questions about us, our personal lives, our addictions, the play itself. Um... Dozens of students raise their hands with questions such as, do you believe addiction is a disease? If you have a parent addicted, how do you get help? Do you think marijuana is a gateway drug? These students seem to genuinely connect with the young adult actors. One student raised her hand and was overcome by emotion. She explained that her father had recently died from addiction. What could I have done? She asked the actors between sobs. And then with a bit more edge to her voice, and why do you people who are addicts not listen to your loved ones and keep using drugs? 
What can we do to make you stop? The auditorium was completely silent for a moment. Actor Elizabeth Addison struggled to answer. Hearing that question was just like, it broke my heart. Addison told the teen there wasn't much she could have done for her dad. You think that telling him you love him or whatever is going to, you know, wake something up because he loves you more? No, it's a very tricky disease. The person that has it, is their mind is completely being fooled. It's completely someplace else. They're being literally like they're puppets. She also told the young woman that statistics show that the fact that these actors can even perform at all is, well, improbable. So for the four of us, there's 398 people who are either institutionalized or in jail are going to die from the disease of addiction. So that is why we're called the improbable players, because it is improbable that us four would be up there, um, given where we came from. Since 1984, the improbable players have been taking the stories of people in recovery and staging them in short plays. First, the troupe focused on alcohol. Then, about three years ago, after Massachusetts declared opioid use a public health emergency, the troupe's founder, Lynn Bratley, says the group decided to do a play about it. We had to do the opioid play. We absolutely had to. We answered a call to to address this issue. It's just too devastating and serious. Bratley dismisses suggestions that her plays might make drug use seem normal or acceptable to students because these actors and their painful pasts are now in the limelight. They don't make the addiction look glamorous. Not for one second. They make it look like what it is, painful and horrible. And and their own stories. It's not like they don't have consequences still today. They they live with the consequences of their use, of their youth, youth and use. The main point of the program, Bratley says, is to get students talking about their lives and to let them know that opioids are a public health epidemic threatening thousands of families across Massachusetts. Triton senior Cassie McGrath says these types of programs are critical. Not so much because they might stop a teen from using drugs, but because they'll get people talking about it. It's something that when you're in high school, if like no one talks about it, and it will become more of a problem. I think that if like people don't address that opioids are actually happening in our area, because they really are, then no one will ever really do anything about it. And it just makes it even harder for people to reach out for help. McGrath was particularly struck by what happened at the end of the performance. The improbable players asked the audience, raise a hand if you know someone struggling with alcohol or drug use. More than 80% of the students and the teachers raised their hands. They sheepishly looked around, and some smiled as the actors told them to notice that there are other people nearby who might understand. Even some of my friends that raised their hands I was surprised about. And it's it's mostly just sad because... Like, on the outside, on the surface, people would think we all live such, like, clean and nice lives, like, in the, like the suburbs and stuff. And then you ask someone that, and everyone raises their hand. It really, like, it shows the impact that, like, the stereotype really isn't that true and that the facts and the statistics that they're saying about drugs is facts. So The statistics continue to be alarming. On average, five people are dying from an opioid overdose every day in Massachusetts. For 90.9 WBUR. I'm Deborah Becker. As we begin our interview, Andy shares how improbable players started by telling the story of founder Lynn Bratley. Basically, yeah, I mean, it was it was acting out literally her story. She was um, uh, an 
a mother who drank in the closet and, um, you know, had all kind of the, the dysfunction that happens in a family with addiction and, and really wanted to show that it affected everybody in the family, not just the person with the addiction. You know, that's one of the number one myths we try to dispel um, in that actually everyone um, should seek help around it, not just the person with the addiction also. So that was kind of that's still kind of our, our core message that we try to have in, in each of our pieces. But so from from there, she got a group of folks who are in recovery together and, and put together this play based on her story. And that's how it started and, and still is really the core of what we do which is to go to a school we have um usually the the principal will get up or someone some administrator they'll start to give kind of a dry introduction of you know we're here for uh an addiction uh education program and then we interrupt them and uh have like a surprise entrance um, where we come on, we do kind of a, a funny sketch and then reveal the fact that we're all people in recovery, which, which like you said, has a really nice buy-in with young people. It, 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 right off the bat, they know we're not talking down to them. They know that we have had this experience and we're there to share about it in a way that's a little different, maybe more, hopefully more memorable than the typical presentation like that. Andy spoke with me about the evolution of their programs. We have, uh, there are a couple different programs we run. So the main program that we do uh, is we do this 45-minute show that's that's a little bit different from stages. Um, and those shows are all based on true stories. Um, and they feature actors in recovery. And then we do a talk back after. Um, and so what we did is over the years, we would open all these shows with kind of short sketches that were a little lighter, maybe a little more satirical. Um, and of, at one point, it became clear that some schools, first of all, couldn't uh, afford a, a four-person show and uh, wanted something else. And some schools needed something that was shorter. And so what we did was we took all those sketches that we were opening shows with and turned them into one kind of shorter show. So that's, that's what Stages is, and that's kind of the difference between that piece and then the rest of our work. Next, we discuss the concept behind their play, End of the Line. I think I think one of the things we try to do and the thing that you can do with theater when you have multiple um, actors and multiple stories happening all at once is that you can complicate uh, what you often get out of uh, the narrative of addiction, right? So, like, it's never as simple as uh, parents are in denial uh, person, you know, child with addiction uh, is lying all the time or child with addiction is um, kind of blatantly uh, using and it's so obvious. You know, sometimes it is, I think it's like that where there's this gray area and the feelings don't match up with the actions and, and that hurts everybody, you know, Um so that's kind of, that's part of what it is. And also, I think it's relatable. I think we've all had moments where someone asks how you're doing and you, you aren't, you know, you don't answer that question verbatim. Um, so we try to, like, tie that in as well. That makes sense. Chris shares a little bit about their creative process. Well, we actually write them ourselves. And, uh, you know, we'll ask a question, like, 
for running on you, we asked the question, what was it like when you first started using? Where were you when you first started using? And then we do an improv around the question and pull scenes out of the improv. And, you know, we continue to ask questions and continue to use improvisation. And then after we've got all the material together, um, you know, we edit and sit and do what we have to do to create one solid piece. And so that's how all of our shows were developed, uh, except for End of the Line. With End of the Line, we, we actually went out and we interviewed uh, people who had been, you know, on opioids and, and who had gotten through that process. And, um, and we took their stories and incorporated them with our stories and created that, that piece that way. So it's, it's, you know, they're all based on the experience of people who have, you know, been affected and who have been in recovery. Next, Karen talks about the impact of sharing her story with the audience. When I performed in Boston with Improbable Players, what really was powerful to me um, was that after the performance, each of the four actors, myself included, would share a one-minute story, which included when we first started drinking or using, what happened and then how we reached out for help. And, you know, being in recovery and sharing my story throughout the years, it's normally a longer period of time that you share. So to have a one-minute snippet, it really is a helpful reminder to myself every time I perform because being in recovery, I continually have to work my program a day at a time to stay sober. So that's helpful for me. And then when we do the Q&A session afterwards with the students, you know, having the students have the courage to ask, you know, very difficult questions, um, it, you know, it's an honor to be able to hold that space for them. And then Andy and Chris also have this experience once the Q&A session is over, many times we have a handful of five or six students that stick around and many are crying and are sharing personal stories, whether they themselves have an issue or a family or friend has an issue and they don't know where to go or who to talk to or they don't feel that they can talk to anybody. So being able to be a safe person is has been really profound for myself. We spent some time talking about the goals of the program to connect those in need with local help. So usually what, I mean, one of the big functions I think we serve is to really highlight local resources for folks. So often in a school setting, that's, uh, that's a school nurse or counselor. Um, and, you know, a lot of times students know, these people exist, but might not have kind of a, a moment to um, reflect and, and, and kind of push them towards that those resources. And so we highlight those at the end of every show. Um, because, I mean, what we know about prevention is that it needs to be an ongoing effort. So we see ourselves as kind of uh, a, a kickoff or a, almost like a, a spark for 
for the school or the community we're going into. Karen shares that it's not unusual for 80% of the audience to raise their hands when asked if they know someone struggling with alcohol and drug abuse issues. Actually, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, I remember the first time I asked that question, and the very first time, a lot of hands went up. And and I, when I first asked it, it was in a classroom Q&A situation, so I only had maybe 30 kids, and you know, 25 of them had their hands up. And so when we brought it to a larger audience, it, it, it wasn't surprising for me to see you know, the students have their hands up. And we also asked adults to raise their hands, too, so that the students could see that it's, you know, that everyone is affected. Um, so it wasn't surprising. It's more surprising, I think, to them. You know, they look around the room and they see so many hands up and they think, oh, wow, that, who knew <laughs> that many people we're dealing with some form of, of, you know, substance use disorder. And so, so again, I think it's more surprising to the audiences and to the teachers. And, you know, um, but not as surprising for us to see that. Yeah. And it makes me feel wonderful, I must say, to see the hands go up and to have them look around and, and to see that they're not alone. Like, that is so important. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when I first started with the players, one of the actors with the troupe would tell the story about how she and her best friend both had fathers who were alcoholic, and they didn't know it until they were older, you know, and they were best friends, and they, they wouldn't share that. So to have so many hands up and to look around and say, okay, I'm not alone, I think is one of the greatest benefits of that question. Just something I always say to whenever I give a presentation about the players too is um, we we routinely get majorities of people with their hands up uh, for that question in middle schools. You know, so when we talk about when we should start talking about this and when we should start educating around it, um, that's something I always let people know because uh, young people are already dealing with it um, often. We're not talking about, you know, sixth graders with an addiction themselves that's quite advanced, Um, but uh, they almost always know someone who has some kind of uh, problem um, or disordered use around substances. So um, it's 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 surprising for other people to hear that sometimes, but we've been we've been at it long enough where it's not so much for us, I think. Next, we talk about their longest running production. I'll never do that as the longest running show that we have. And, um, you know, and it, it tells the story of Lynn, Lynn Bradley, again, the co-founder, founder, uh, how she used to, you know, how she would drink in the closet and how she was, you know, how she affected her family. Um, you know, her story is, it's, is the bulk of that, but, Again, when we when we started the troop, those questions were asked about you know of all the other actors. You know, how did it affect your family? What was it like in your family? And so again, it was a collaborative effort. Um, you know, the fact that that I'll never do that focuses on the family is um, I think it's one of our most effective shows because we you know we touch on from adulthood down, down to childhood. With that, with that show, we go through a 20-year process. Um, 
for a 20 year span of time. And so, um, so I think it's a, a great show that everybody can relate to, whether you have a problem or not. Um, because again, you are affected. Every family can be affected somehow. Andy and Chris introduced Running on E, the third Improbable Players production they profiled for us. I think, you know, Chris was actually, I believe, a part of creating that piece. Uh, so she can maybe talk about that after I give an overview. But um, Running on E follows uh, one, really the main character is a young lady who starts to um, go down a path of addiction. It starts with uh, parties and smoking weed and kind of progresses from there to, to harder substances. Um, and it's, it's about how uh, really friends react and how friends can help each other. Whereas we have kind of the, the I'll never do that, which is about how the family reacts and how it affects them. Um, you know, often young people in schools, if they have a friend who's really struggling, don't know what to do. Um, and so that play we get to show, uh, here's how someone actually, you know, helps their friend. Um, that, that actually talking about it with an adult or with a, a counselor is not a betrayal, you know, of your, of your friend. Um, and so, uh, it's two friends who are kind of grappling with the addiction of, um, two other characters as, as they spiral out. And one of those characters luckily gets, um, help and the help they need. And then we see a little bit of even the difficulty of reintegrating into school after, uh, getting into, uh, recovery and getting some help. And then the other friend, uh, unfortunately doesn't, which is, you know, part of the real stories that we, we try to tell. Um, but yeah, like I said, Chris actually, uh, helped create that one. I will say one of the things that I do love about that show is that we, we wanted to represent every student that could possibly be in the audience. And so, um, you know, so it covers, you know, one of the characters is full on use and, and doesn't get help. And we have the character, the main character who spirals downward, but that then makes the decision to get help. Uh, another character, uh, Kim, she tries it once and decides that it's not for her and she's not going to do it again. And uh, the fourth character, Mark, he says he's never going to try it. And so one of the things I love about that is that every student can identify with one of those characters at least. Um, you know, whether if they, you know, we don't want to go to, into a school and completely isolate folks and, and they can say, oh no, that's not me. Um, with this show, we have something for everyone. Andy talks a little bit about how they measure their impact of their performances on the community. We kind of measure our impact in a couple of different ways. So we have um, surveys that we give to schools uh, and we get those back with uh, pretty, you know, I mean, this is obviously I, I would say this, but pretty universally positive feedback. Um, it, I think partially because if nothing else, it's what we do is, is different. And because it's different, it's more memorable and we're, we're actually modeling the behavior we want to see as opposed to, you know, like I said, preaching. Um, and, the uh, you know, so we get positive feedback there. We have, um, 
we started doing a pilot of a before and after survey to see how attitudes change. And uh, we had a, a doctor named Dr. John Kelly. Uh, he runs what's called the Recovery Research Institute in, at Mass General Hospital. Uh, and he found that uh, after the in regards to stigma reduction around addiction and uh, self-reported likelihood to seek help, uh, that the show uh, is in the positive therapeutic range, so it does move um, student attitudes. Uh, and then the last piece is those, those little stories, those little anecdotes that we get uh, all the time from our actors uh, and from the uh, staff where we go back year after year to to present and, and bring different programs. And um, those, to me, are some of the, the most powerful because those are uh, stories in and of themselves, you know. Um, I remember one of my first shows, uh, a girl came up to me after, and I played the I played the brother in the I'll Never Do That, and he struggles with his own addiction. And she said, you know, that your character is just like my brother. He's home. He dropped out of school. My parents are fighting about it all the time. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And uh, I asked her who the counselor was at the school and um, has she talked to that person and uh, would she be willing to and, and then kind of hooked her up with the, the resources that she had, you know? Um, and then uh, the other story I always tell is I had this, uh, I was doing a show in Western Mass and um, these two kids were kind of like goofing off in the back for a lot of the show and laughing and making jokes. And I was like, I know those kids, like that was me, you know, uh, that's my whole vibe in high school. And, uh, and I figured they weren't paying any attention and, um, and they came up after they waited for a while to talk to me. And one of the kids said, uh, Hey, I, you know, you, that, the, what you described, the way you described using weed, um, that sounds like my story. And uh, what? how do I know if I have a problem? Uh, and so I talked to him for a while and gave him some advice. And and uh, then the principal came up to me after and said, uh, that's the biggest drug dealer in our school, and he's never talked to an adult about uh, his problem before. And so, like, those those little stories, like, we don't get all of them, right? But, um, but when we do, we, we kind of... Uh, we take that as some, some impact as well, um, which is really great. So, and that's why the actors keep doing it. I think that's why it's so good for, um, for me as someone in recovery and for other actors to, to do this work is it reinforces our recovery really strongly. Karen shares some final thoughts. I just think that it's so important. I know that there are many different, prevention programs out there. And I think really as many as we can have out there is important. And our method of having actors in recovery, as well as it being a theatrical performance, is engaging to students We've been introduced today to Improbable Players, a program that uses theater performance and workshops to address addiction, alcoholism, and the opioid epidemic in schools and communities. The plays are based on true stories and performed by people in recovery. The program is appropriate for sixth grade and up. They've already performed before 5,000 students in New England this year alone. 
To learn more about Improbable Players, go to improbableplayers.org. Today we've been joined by Improbable Players Cleveland Regional Director, Karen Snyder, and Andy Short and Chris Everett Hussey, who are the co-directors in Boston. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.